This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. This meeting is being sponsored by the FA 12-Step Committee for the distinct purpose of creating tapes for the 12-Step Committee tape library. Those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. There's a seventh tradition basket. Please be generous. I'm passing my pictures, and uh, we'll refer to them some, but for those of you who are on the tape, I'm 54 years old, and I came into program six years ago, little over six years ago, and I had a couple of breaks, and in two weeks I'll have six years, God willing, of back-to-back absence. I'm very grateful for the life I have today. And uh, I'm really grateful for these tapes. When I came into program, this is what I listened to. And... Uh, I'm crying because I'm so grateful and that uh, it makes a huge difference in my life to have this program. And um, the tapes are what helped retrain my thinking a whole lot. Um, so I came into pro. So I'm 54, five, one and a half. And I came into pro. Uh, my top weight was 152, which when you're five, one and a half is very round. And... Um, Basically, that was after I, so my basic story around my weight is I thought I was always 120 to 125 as an adult. And then somewhere I didn't pay attention anymore, and I got to 142. Some years later, I woke up and I was suddenly 142. So I decided I'd do something about my weight, which I always did before. I would run or not eat so much of that flour stuff or something like that. It always seemed to work before is what I thought. But by then, my disease had progressed, and my life around the food in particular, but in other things as well, was unmanageable. So when I started doing something, being aware my weight was 142, and I needed to do something about my weight, I got up to 152 and was heading up, and nothing I could do would make it stop until I came into this program. Um, so I am really grateful, and it took a lot of, uh, a lot of gratitude, a lot of willingness, and uh, just showing up one day at a time. And because uh, I didn't think I'd last more than two weeks because nothing I had ever done, da 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 da, you know, the old negative thinking. Nothing I did ever worked that well, so I wouldn't get it. And, you know, that whole negative string of thinking. So I had a lot of negative thinking uh, in my past. So, uh, 
It's uh, it's hard to know where to start exactly because I want to say so much because so much has happened. But I want to tell you, first of all, what it was like for me in the food and in my life before and then how I came to program and uh, what it's been like for me since then because I think it's been an awesome life. This is not the life. I, I definitely have a body I never had before. Oh, I gave you my top weight. I didn't tell you where I am now. So I'm around 115 right now. And um, that's the weight that was on my driver's license that I never was, that I was, so, I was going to get down there, but I never was that weight. And, um, and that's, no, that's about what I weigh. So, and um, I know I have the body today that I never had before because when I was in uh, graduate school and was giving a talk and got some really hot outfit with some pants, and I saved those pants. And... Uh, when I started losing weight and losing weight and actually losing weight in program, which was a miracle in and of itself, I had to take in those pants. There were a lot of other clothes I had to let go of, but um, those, those were pants that I had saved. And I know I have a body today that was the one I always pictured that I had, but I never really had. So I'd look in the mirror and this is what I thought I had, but it wasn't at all what I really had. So... Um, there's just a lot of joy in coming to this program. It took a lot of pain before I got here. Um, uh, let me start with a little background. So I grew up. Um, I was um, third child in a family of five kids, uh, mother and father, uh, two older brothers, two younger sisters. I was born in California, and when I was 11, we moved to Florida. And uh, so I grew up there. And... Um, my body was always a little chubbier than what I wanted, and there's the picture when I was in Girl Scouts, and, you know, they were taking the picture to go in the newspaper, the local newspaper, you know, and there I am squatting, and what I see are my shorts and my thighs, and, um, you know, that's not the picture I wanted my grandmother to have. That's not, you know, that's my thinking. So um, my weight was always just a little bigger than what I wanted. Um, and one of the parts of my story is I never thought, I was never aware that I had a problem with food. And it was a long time before I was aware I had a problem with weight. But I did have a problem with a lot of other things. Uh, that I, and I kept trying to change myself or do something about myself. I did a lot of, um, I ended up living in California a lot, so I did what I call California gro growth, growth groups. I did meditations, I did consciousness groups, I did... A women's group. I did, um, you know, guru. Very, you know, three or four different kinds of meditation, things like that. Um, when I was um, growing up, I um, I did well in school, but I didn't feel like I related very well. Well, I moved when I was a teenager. Maybe that was why. Or um, my older brothers teased me a lot. Maybe that was why. And, you know, um, but I. Part of what I grew up believing, I guess, was that uh, I could control something. Because um, when my brothers tickled me too much, and I decided at one point I'm not going to be ticklish. And so I wasn't ticklish after that. And um, I don't know if that's hard to do or not, but I just made that decision and did it. Um, and then another thing that I remember growing up as a teenager in junior high, waiting at the bus stop at school for to go take the bus and go home, and some kid was uh, bugging me about something. I have no idea why, but I was pissed at him. And so he turns around, and we were in math. We were studying geometry, so I had a compass that you'd make a circle with where one end of it's pointed. So he turned around, and this was in my hand, so I reached out and jabbed him in the butt. 
And um, I think I was I was terribly embarrassed about that. I was uh, it didn't hurt him, um, thankfully. But I I was very afraid of what my anger did. That my anger and my resentment would do that. So I better control my anger. I didn't want to be like that. And a um, whole lot of stuff just growing up. About I mean, I had a good family. We went, loved going camping, things like that with my family. Things, but um, the holidays I remembered the, the food we prepared, and I was one who was more was better or bigger was better. So um, when I was about 10 or 11, we were studying Alaska, and you had to bring in a um, piece of plywood. We were going to make a paper mache map of Alaska on it. So I went to my dad's garage and there was a piece of wood, three foot by three foot. And dad said, oh, I'll cut it down for you. And I said, no, I want the big one. I want the whole thing. So I brought it in. It takes a whole lot of more paper mache to cover three feet by three foot than one foot by one foot. Never got done. We moved to California before I finished it. But um, I mean, that's the kind of thing I would do. And then um, uh, when I was in high school and uh, you had to take home ec before you could graduate. So I took it. And um, you had there were different sessions. So for the session that was about food preparation, cooking, uh, my project for that was to do Thanksgiving dinner, the whole thing, and um, you know, which was buying and cooking and preparing and all of that stuff and cleaning up too, probably. But I mean, I took on the big project. It wasn't just a simple family meal. It was the big project. And then when I was, this was when I was a senior in high school, and then in the sewing section because I already knew how to sew some, then I took on the project of sewing my senior formal. You know, and it wasn't just any old dress. It was a red velvet top and a white satin skirt, which are both very difficult fabrics to work with. So, I mean, more was better, bigger was better, and going for some kind of, you know, special recognition or something. Uh, my sponsor today helps me a lot by saying, practice being satisfied, being average. You can be a very good ex. You can be an excellent average, very good average, but practice being satisfied, being average, and that's a place for me because I keep going for more and more and more. I do, 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 and lots of lots of lots of things like that, and um, in work or around the house or whatever like that, and so it's been important for me to slow down, to take, keep it simple and to ask God to be in charge and let me know how do I do first things first and then, you know, not work all day or not stay up all night, whatever like that. So um, growing up, there's a lot about more is better, that I'm not enough or don't fit in a little bit, um, that kind of thing. I got, um, I was very good in school, did good grades, liked math, uh, went to college, went to graduate school, um, got degrees in physics and um, got married after gradu- after high school, uh, excuse me, got married after college, and then got divorced while I was in graduate school because I felt we were just heading different directions. I'm not sure. I just felt different. Something wasn't working, so I might as well change something. And um, I proceeded to try and change something about myself. Um, I can remember so much about, you know, at the wedding with the flowered sugar thing, you were yelled the picture, you know, you know, you know, just the the focus on the food for me um, was always there to some degree, but it wasn't something I was conscious of. Just my weight was always a little more than I ever wanted it to be, and then um, 
in, um, oh, I did normal kinds of things. I had a, a reasonably satisfying life. I got married, but I felt unsatisfied. I got um, divorced and got into women's groups and some other things and living with some friends and was reasonably satisfied, I would guess, but it wasn't something wasn't okay for me. I kept doing some other kind of program or something that would help in some way make me feel part of and I would see other people go to them and then it would look like oh they got something out of that I'll go to that thing they got something out of that I'll go to that thing and I I could even get involved with it for a couple two or three or four years sometimes but somehow I would end up feeling like everybody else really connected or everybody else had something or other with that and somehow it wasn't me and um, I even had some friends that I lived with for quite a few years and, um, you know, we even bought a house together and things like this. These were good friends that I knew. But where my food addiction took me to, oh, because they were gourmet cooks, too. Me, I was an average, any kind of food in the kitchen would be fine or on the airplane or, you know, cut off the moldy part or something like that. I mean, it didn't have to be special for me, but I wanted to fit in. I wanted to look like the others. So I tried to learn, okay, this is the gourmet food at this restaurant. How do you pick the right stuff? But when I would be going out to dinner with friends, I would feel so uncomfortable about how do I relate to people that I would eat that basket of flour items. And um, I would, at a party, I wouldn't know what to say or something, and I would go hang out around the food, or I would help in the kitchen. And that's how I would think I would fit in. Or I'd have a conversation about the food or something like that. And um, I tried a little drugs along the way, a little beer and stuff like that, but I didn't like that I lost control. Uh, you know, that I don't know if I laughed too much or talked too much or whatever it was, but I just didn't like it. So I hung out with the food, not realizing that that was what I was doing. Um, because what I would do is, like, even when I was married, um, my mother-in-law would cook food for us and would say, oh, have some more, have some more. So I wanted to fit in, so I had always was the one to have seconds to help finish something off. Oh, there's only a little left. Why don't you, you know, would somebody finish this off? With my friends, too, I would help finish it off. Or uh, there would be leftovers in the refrigerator, and I would go and help a little piece, a little piece, a little piece, whatever that leftover was. And one of my friends didn't like to eat leftovers, and that was incomprehensible to me would much rather throw it away than leave it. You know, it's like, that did not make sense. You've got to finish it off. It's there. It's food. Don't let it go. And um, in the meantime, you know, while I'm doing, you know, doing that with my food, the rest of my life is getting more unmanageable. Around money kind of things, I had enough money for whatever I was doing, but I didn't manage it very well. I might have money in the bank, but I'd forget to pay the credit card bills. And I'd get, you know, overdue fees, and I'd say, oh, it's just many. But, you know, it has an impact. I wasn't taking care of myself. And um, I'd pay taxes at the last minute or late or, you know, things like that, extensions. Um, and then in relating with family, I had, so I have these four brothers and sisters. Well, two of them had kids. And um, I would sometimes show up for family events, and... I would sometimes, I would know that I should buy Christmas gifts for them. And so I would sometimes, I would actually get to the store, buy the Christmas gifts before Christmas, and know that I wanted to wrap them. And somehow they didn't get wrapped yet, so I couldn't ship them to them. 
And before long, it's six months later, and I still haven't sent them the Christmas gifts. And then I might as well wait till next year. And so I wasn't really showing up for that part of my family. I, um, um, so I didn't, you know, so then I felt hesitant. There was like, you know, as I did these actions that I wasn't happy about, a barrier would build up for me between my relationship with, with family. And, um, you know, I think my family loved me anyway. But <laughs> I, mean, I had this stuff going on in me. So... Um, uh, and then, oh, and then the other kind of thing that was unmanageable in my life is um, junk, uh, not letting go of things. Um, I eventually, oh, and uh, and I sought answers eventually. I, uh, I had, um, I decided to leave the group of people that I was friends with because partly because one of the things that happened for me there is I made them so much more important than my own thoughts about me that I made their opinions more important somehow and and the relationship people to people was disappeared. I now had these people as some authority figure for me or something I didn't feel comfortable, didn't fit in and I wanted to go off on my own. I wanted to grow up finally or something. I was what 40 something probably at that point. So um what I ended up doing is so I um went out to get an apartment by myself. And this is where my self-esteem had gotten to, is I wasn't even clear that I could make a decision about what apartment I would like. What kind of apartment would I want? And that's where I went to in this disease of, of trying to fit in and please other people that I didn't even know what I wanted anymore. And um, that's not how I used to be, I don't think, but that's where it grew. It's a dis- progression of this disease. And meanwhile, that was part of the period when my weight was going up and up and up. And uh, I was also working more and more and more. And, um, oh, one of the things partway through of one of the things I went to the extremes to do something with my weight, my weight I was aware of. And um, I decided I needed, the way I dealt with weight mostly was I would run a little more. Well, it got to where I wouldn't actually get out and run. So I decided I needed to have some motivation to get out and run. So I wanted to lose weight. So I signed up to run a half marathon, which is 13 miles, as a fundraiser about hunger, and that I would, to actually get myself to go running, I would get commitments from people to um, pledges for, like, you know, several hundred dollars, and that would be enough motivation that I would make sure I would run each day so that I'd be in shape to run some 13 miles, which I'd never run before. But... um, so I did. I mean, I, I got the pledges, and I ran every day about a mile each day at work and so on. There were some other people, and and I did, you know, and I did that half marathon and so on. But that's the kind of extreme that I went to. And, like, after that, of course, then there was some food after the marathon. After the retreats that I went to, the meditation retreats and so on, there was always food. Or the other events that I, you know, there would be always be food. Or at work, um I work as an engineer. I would work, they would sometimes have meetings. They would food there. And uh, I would tend to look, I would tend, I would normally work long hours and, um, you know, excessive, very strange hours. My friends tried to intervene and tell me, Joan, you're working too much. And I thought all they wanted was me to be at home and take care of things that, 
at the house more and that it wasn't any wasn't really because they cared about me. I couldn't see that other people cared about me. So one of the things I've had to learn in program was to let people in to um, that somebody could care or that I could care about taking care of myself. On my teeth, I didn't take care of my teeth, um, you know, until the pain got great enough. And then I started, you know, because the kind of thinking I had is, oh, I've got good teeth. I don't need to brush them right now. I don't have enough time. Oh, I'll, I'm really tired. I've got to go to bed. I don't have time to brush my teeth. It'll, you know, I'll do it later. So a whole lot of things, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And my life was a whole lot about I'll do it later. Um, and it was about arriving places like that's another thing was unmanageable and um, uh, I was I don't know this popped in it's like I was on time for my wedding <laughs> and um, to digress just a moment is that um when I was waiting for my wedding to start, and I'm in the little room with my dad, and he's standing there. My dad's pretty silent a lot of the time, didn't talk a lot, and um, but I cared about him. And um, so he was just standing there. We were waiting. I, you know, my normal thing, I didn't know quite what to say or whatever. Anyway, I decided to reach out and hold his hand, which is not a normal thing for me to do. And um, when I did, his hand was shaking. which showed me that he cared and that it meant something to him because he didn't talk about that a whole lot and um, so it's a time I remember with um, a great deal of tenderness but it's hard it was hard for him to let people in too My dad would yell at trying to start the lawnmower um, and, you know, that kind of thing. But I didn't know how people related very much. And that was, that was with me a whole lot of the time. So when I was late for things, I was late for a friend's uh, invitation to go to um, uh, a concert. And she was really pissed off. And I'd never seen somebody get that angry about something like that. I, like, really had to sit down and apologize with her, to her, and say I really did want to be her friend. And that I did value her because and what I was doing that I was late. I was I said I'll be late because I was cleaning up something and I wanted to finish it. I was cleaning up like the attic where I stored stuff. Somehow finishing that where my friends would see it was more important than this other person. And then showing up and then, oh, I'll get done. I'll do a little more, a little more, a little more. And I show up at the concert as everybody's coming out. And so I never see her at the concert because they've already left. And that's the kind of thing I would do. I'd show up late for things at work. I didn't know how to relate with people when they'd have one of these Christmas party things or something like that where everybody's supposed to leave their desk and go relax and relate to people. I still had something that had to be done. I didn't manage my time to whatever that is could be done, and I didn't let it go till the next day and let it be important to show up and relate because I didn't know how to relate, so I hung out at my desk. And um, and then would show up just for a little bit and would wonder why I didn't feel part of, didn't feel one among, you know, I didn't feel one among many there. So 
that's the nature of how my life was. Um, I also, by the time I got in, pro- before I, just before I got in program, as I said, my weight was up to 142, and then um, I, I tried to do running or not eating so much, but by then I didn't mo- have motivation to really go and run any. And by the way, I'd work long hours, so I deserved to eat some more of that stuff. My weight gotten so big that I had to go from the petite sizes. I even had to go and buy something at Mature Woman. And I bought things with elastic waistband, with overblouse stuff, and uh, things like that. And that was about the time frame when um, there were one of the pictures in there. It was a picture of me sitting on the curb with my youngest sister next to me. And my mom was taking the picture, and that was at my dad's uh, funeral time. So I'm there sitting in a T-shirt in Florida with my arms showing and my nice round face and my nice round arms and my sister's right next to me. And I look at the picture, and that's one of the first times I noticed how my body looked finally. And um, what I put in my head was it's the angle of the camera. I can now put this picture away and ignore it because it's the angle of the camera. Now, I'm trained in science, I know it's, and my sister's right next to me, so I know it's not the angle of the camera. Maybe something else, not with her right next to me. It was not that, but it was an excuse, because this disease is one of denial. I mean, I, had, I would turn to that flour and sugar on the middle of the restaurant table. I would turn to the flour and sugar um, as a solution for how to deal with that uncomfortable feeling. And... Um, and I would put denial over the times I didn't know how to relate, over the times I was late meeting with friends, over the times I didn't you know, connect with family, over the times I worked really long hours and was really crazy around that. So that was the denial building up over and over. And I did, at w- one point, I did get into Al-Anon for a while, and that helped me a lot to um, actually have a place to start talking, speaking some of the thoughts that I was so afraid even to think about how I was or how I was feeling or what was happening in my life. But I didn't, I didn't, you know, I stayed a few years and then I, you know, I didn't want to work all the steps, so I was afraid of the steps. And um, so I drifted away from that too. And um, then... Let's see. What happened for me was, so I was trying to work on my weight, and I saw a counselor. Uh, I was, saw a counselor, family counselor kind of thing, just because of the uncomfortable feelings and the misery that I felt that I wasn't okay and so on. So I found somebody that I could talk to, and they would listen to me and, and would give me some suggestions. And one of the things I would say from time to time, actually every week after a while, was I've got to do something about my weight. I need to start exercising. I've got to do something about my weight. I need to start exercising again and again and again. And eventually she said, um, why don't you just accept your body the way it is? Try that. So I tried that one out. And um, I had part of that was my picture was like I now had the body my mother had. And the picture I remembered my, bo- my mom had was the one like when I was in college or something and she was overweight. And when I got my pictures together to be able, for my 90 days, she sent me an early family picture. And when I was 11 or 12, my mom had, still had a waist and all of that. I'd never remembered my mom like that. I didn't remember her. My focus was all on me. I didn't remember other people and how they looked. Um, so I was trying to accept 
the body that my mother had and trying to accept my body the way it was. And I'd go up and down the stairs at work and I'd get breathless. My legs would rub together and my pants would wear out between my legs and I felt uncomfortable and all of that kind of stuff. I was getting miserable and I wanted to do something. A friend was staying with me for a while and she was actually had encountered somebody. Two people moved to California from areas that were doing this program. And so my friend was in, started weighing and measuring her food in my kitchen and calling her sponsor and said, Joan, you got to get off the phone right now. And, um, and working this program, she said, Joan, come to a meeting sometime. And I was ready to do something finally because the running or the whatever wasn't working for me. And, um, and also the carrying the candy in my pocket, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, all those habits were there. And so um, I had pride still. I didn't want to do the same thing she was doing, so I went and did Weight Watchers. And I, I did it their way for one week. And then after that, I started doing it my way of, oh, i got to work late. I can't really do that thing. Oh, I'll go through the fast food. So my normal life before then was to go through the fast food, grab some food, eat it while I'm driving, uh, go home and uh, watch TV and eat some more stuff in front of the TV and work long hours and be irritable at work and get negative reviews about how I related to people and all that kind of stuff. That was all going on in my life. And so I was seeing this counselor, and it wasn't helping enough. So then I saw another counselor in addition to that. And, you know, my life was really unmanageable. I was searching and searching. And I still didn't know it was about the food. And my friend was weighing and measuring her food in the kitchen. And she said, Joan, come to a meeting. And then she said, okay, Joan, we're having a meeting just of this format. And can you come? And I had been in Al-Anon before, and I knew the 12 steps, and I knew something worked in that for people. And I had gotten miserable enough. I couldn't do it myself. And doing it with Weight Watchers was clearly not working for me because I didn't do it their way. You know, it wasn't working for me. And so I said, yes, I'll come to a meeting. So I came to the meeting and got to hear two ladies share who were younger than me and had nice bodies and were saner than I was were calm. They talked about situations, events in their life. They were calm. They had what I wanted. But I still had to go on a couple of trips for work, so I couldn't start for two weeks, you see, because I wasn't ready yet. I went on these trips, and one of them I was visiting my brother, and my mom was there, and so on. And I'd been try- I knew what my housemate ate, so I was trying to follow no flour, no sugar, and what she did. And when I was at that house with family around, They've got ordinary store-bought flour product, put it on the middle of the table. They were loving it, and I reached out, picked one up, and put it in my mouth. And I wasn't going to do that, and yet I picked it up and I put it in my mouth. So that rather showed me that I can't do it on my own. I came back. I got a sponsor. I started working this program. And at that point, my negative thinking was saying, this is going to be like everything else you ever did. It's not going to work. You know, you're going to last two weeks like you did at Weight Watchers, and it's not going to work. And the other part of my head said, everything else I've had didn't work. They're saying in here, half measures avail us nothing. I better really work this one because I don't know if I'm going to have another chance. There's an opportunity here to have something impact my life, and, you know, if I really work it, so I better really work it. I also heard the tools, the tool of the telephone. This is a disease of isolation. 
pick up the telephone. I'm an isolator. I could see myself in that. All that work stuff is my isolation. All that doing stuff for other people is isolation. So I picked up that telephone and called. We had a small membership then and picked up and called people and called people and called people. And I had two breaks along the way, one at 20 days, (laughs) one at 58 days. And I learned about myself in the process of that. One was I didn't want to be different from other people. I put something in my mouth at a time when, you know. And the other was around family um, was that I put, you know, some food was on my fingers and I put it in my mouth because I wasn't paying attention around the food. So today, the way I work my program is I'm very diligent around my food. And at that point, my sponsor said something to the order of, do you really want this program? Well, see, I thought I wasn't going to last for two weeks, but then I lasted more than two weeks, and I figured, well, there must be this stuff about getting down on my knees in the morning and at night, because I never did that before. Maybe that's what, you know. So various points along those few early months is like okay I've got it figured out now this is what I do I've got it figured out well and then that's when I would trip over you know either break my abstinence or do something stupid and need to talk to my sponsor about it and be really embarrassed and whatever Um, I would see that you know about the time I think I got it figured out all I've got to do is these actions then it would show up that I didn't have it figured out that I needed help so the second time I broke my absence, my sponsor said, do you really want this program? By that time, I'd gone through, figured it wouldn't work, to thrilled, you know, I mean, you will be amazed before you're halfway through, thrilled that my belt was getting looser, that weight was actually coming off, which I had never been able to do, and that there was hope from these other people that I saw and the people who were sharing at the meetings and the tapes that I was listening to. And... Um, and I'd gone through the transition of the time where, well, I'll stay and get the weight off and then go live my life again. Well, by that time, I'd seen enough of what was what my life, I'd, some of that denial was gone, and I started to see what my life was like. My life was miserable. I had a lot of negative thoughts in my head. I didn't feel like I related to people. I didn't, I didn't like myself at all. And, um, and here was somebody offering me some hope. And so I continued to, so I, so, one of the things I did is on the tapes I learned a lot of, and people shared, I heard a lot of, thank you, God. Well, I thought, well, maybe I'll try that, you know. And so I purposely made a point in my life to say thank you, God, more. And to do it in a way that it was for me. It wasn't for anybody else. It was for me. So something might happen at work. I'd say, oh, thank God for that. That worked out or something like that. It was for me to hear that. It was for me to remind myself that this day, one day at a time, I'm not doing this myself. I need God's help here. God is making a difference today. And he makes a difference not just in me staying absent. He makes a difference in me remembering to get my taxes done or remember actually getting the Christmas gifts or something like that, being willing to say, no, what are the priorities here? I need to wrap this and send it, whatever. Not perfect with any of that. And... Um, that's a whole story in itself. But, you know, I'm so much different than what I used to be. I get to show up for my family now. Um, at the time, I live in California, and um, my sister with three, her, three nieces, like, lived in Germany for a while, and then on the west, on uh, Washington and whatever, and Chicago, and then they moved to Southern California. And so I was finally in program willing to do things and show up for my family. So I've shown up for family, helped them move in a little bit. You know, showed up at holidays some, 
And um, that's a new experience for me. Not, I don't feel like I relate that great with their kids because, you know, I wasn't around a lot of the time them growing up. But, uh, you know, it's growing. They at least know that I exist and that I can show up in their lives. Um, a whole lot of things have changed for me. I'm Well, when I first started sharing, by the way, um, I was very much drama, into drama. I had a lot of emotion. You know, I'd talk sure about my life or my feelings about something or other. And it was a huge amount of drama. So every time I shared for probably six months or more was a lot of tears. And um, they do come still these days, but um, not from the old kind of drama. And I have friends around in program who are still here, thank you, God, that um, they can say, yeah, Joan, it's not like it used to be. It's not like it used to be. And... Um, you know, you know, not everybody they saw in those first few days and meetings is still here, but some of them are, and I'm really grateful for the relationships because I'm learning more about how to relate to people because I pick up the telephone as one of my tools. You know, I've stayed connected with some people in program by picking up the phone. So one of the tools that I work is I make three phone calls a day. And I pick up that phone to the best of my ability three times a day and reach out and say, hi, I'm a food addict. Or, hi, I'm Joan, how are you doing? Or, I'm so frustrated at work, this is when I want to go down to that snack machine. This is when I'd say, I'm angry, I need to go take a break at the snack machine. and Or the pink box that somebody left on the table, or whatever. So those are the things I would turn to. I would carry food in my pockets. I'd have it in the drawer at the desk. I'd have it in the car, just in case, because I didn't. Need, I, it was important that I not run out. Because, see, I saw the food as my energy. That's how I kept going, so I could do all these things. So I could stay up late, you know, in high school, staying up late working on the term paper, then in college, then working on a thesis thing, where of course you had three days of experiment time, 24 hours a day. So you bring your food and you sleep there. Other people could do it in reasonable numbers of time, hours of time. And I, I always had to do more. Somehow I always was driven to do more. And um, today I'm much better around weighing and measuring my time at work. It's not perfect, but um, it's much better than it used to be because I ask God for help with that. I ask God to go in front of the, through the door before me. I ask him to help me to be willing to let go of work and come home and actually have dinner at home. When... This is a gentle program, and one of the things I did was get into uh, an AWOL, uh, to study the 12 steps, the way of life. And just little by little, we worked on those steps, just a little bit at a time. And my fears about step four, which was my fears about step four, where you do a moral inventory, was that I was going to find out really how horrible I am. And then I was going to have to tell somebody else. And then the whole world would know really how horrible that I am, how miserable I am, how I'm not enough. And yet when I worked those steps in the AWOL, I wasn't of that point of view by the time we got to step four. I was worried about it and and talked to my sponsor beforehand. And she said, stay in today. Stay in today's step. This is a gentle program. We work it just a little bit at a time. So... My sponsor is very essential to me in working this program. She's given me many gifts. I've I've had two sponsors, um, and they've both been very essential to me. Um, In my crazy living, the way I did program, I did three weighed and measured meals. I would write down the food the night before and commit it to my sponsor in my call in the morning, 
and do my quiet time. I'd, I'd get up in the morning, get down on my knees, ask God for help to have an abstinent day. And I usually did the first three steps because I had to remind myself I'm a food addict. And then I um, read my 24-hour-a-day book and do my 30 minutes of quiet time and make my sponsor call. Nowadays, I also take sponsee calls. And I have my three weighed and measured meals during the day and make my three phone calls a day. And at night, I get down on my knees again and thank God for that abstinent day. And I try to do that mini inventory of making sure that I thank him for things during the day so that my view of that day that's just passed is not about how Joan did it. You know, oh, look what I got done at work or how many things I got done at home or whatever or how much I did in the garden or whatever, but that thank you, God, that so-and-so showed up at a time to remind me to get to my work meeting at at time or that this happened or that I got a phone call from somebody just when I was really, really frustrated Thank you, God, that when I made my outreach call, it was a time that somebody else really needed that call. So thank you, God, for using me, because by that time, I could see that my life was pretty miserable and that I wasn't of much help to other people in the way that I really wanted, so that if my phone calls could help somebody else, that was awesome. And I did my best to um, to turn my work over to God, that whatever my career or path was, um, if it was in God's hands, it would end up better than if it was in my hands. And um, it's not always perfect how to do that, but he's he has done a marvelous job for me with that. Um, I've had several changes in boss. I've stayed at my job longer than any other job I've had. Been there eight years, and um, and each boss when they periodically they change bosses, reorg some. Each boss has been better. Um, I got some negative reviews, and my boss said I'll help you turn that around. I was in program. I was getting used to taking suggestions. So now I was able to take suggestions from my boss. I actually wrote my weekly report every week, mostly on time. And before it was like I was too busy. It wasn't that important. I didn't understand how other people related in my life. I was very self-centered. And um, um, so... It may, it's, you know, gradually God has helped me to be less competitive at work, to be less comparing of other people, to be more accepting that other people can grow. And one of the miracles in my life recently was that somebody at work who came in only about two years ago, so he's younger than I am, he's been there less time than I am, my boss is giving him more attention, you know, <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, he's been kind of groomed to be managed the daily activities. Well, and I thought what I was doing somehow wasn't enough. So I talked to my boss about the, my part of it, not about the other guy. And I talked to my sponsor, first of all. My boss said, oh, yeah, your job is important this way and that way. And then I gradually got to observe this other person working, and I could see they were really good relating to people and managing people, better than my, I am. So the miracle is that by the time my boss actually announced that this guy was going to coordinate some actions, I had come to accept that he was actually good at that action more than me, that I could be thankful that he was doing that. And the gratitude, that the slogan that a grateful heart does not eat has been a real help for me because my craziness and my negativity, my competitiveness come in a whole lot. And when I get fussing at somebody else at work or at something like that, I can say, if I notice that emotion's coming up, I need to take a different way of looking at it. So I ask God, show me how to be 
see this closer to your way of thinking. Help me to be grateful about something here. Maybe I can just be grateful. Thank you, God. I don't have to manage his project as well as mine. Whatever it is that I can say, a little bit of gratitude, it starts shifting things. So a little bit at a time, that shifts my way of thinking. I've listened to these tapes you know, in the car, driving to work and driving back home. And I'd be come out of work fussing in my head. I'd listen to the tapes, and I would calm down. Makes a huge difference in my life to have these tapes here. Makes a huge difference to have fellowship I can call. And they can call many places around this country, you know, now actually around the world. Um, it's awesome to be able to be in a program and see it growing and to see people come in and just one person to come in and 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 you know, be so odd that they're losing weight and that something is changing totally in their lives. My life is very different now. I show up to the best of my ability with my family. I'm not perfect. Um, I've been able to go through some surgery abstinently with the help of my sponsor. Um, I'm able to sponsor and do the best I can to give be service and to give back, to, to be of service in my fellowship locally. And um, I wish there was so much more I could say. Um, one thing that comes to mind is um, early in program when I was re- really crazy and doing lots and lots of things still, and um, my idea of three weighed and measured meals was have breakfast, go to work, keep working and working and working until finally whatever it was that was going to be done in just a minute, just a minute, just a minute, and then finally eat lunch around 3, and then work and work and work, and then maybe finally eat dinner around 9 or 10, still at work. And um, this was not a meeting night. And um, I would do that. And this was early in program. And after coming to meetings and starting hearing other people share and listening to the tapes and so on, it dawned on me at some point, this is how quiet time and God works. It's like, maybe there's something a little wrong with that. And so I had a conversation with my sponsor. And she said, well, (laughs) she's very kind. She said, well, we recommend four to six hours between meals. So what time do you have breakfast? I said, about 6.30 or 7. So she said, well, plan to have lunch by 12.30 and have dinner by 6.30. And then this is where sponsor really comes in. She said, and expect something to come up. Everything, every reason that I had to put off lunch came up. Somebody in the hallway asking a question. I had to always have the answers right away. Email to do, program still to do something or other to you know, whatever, somebody calling me, I got to have, I, you know, expect something to come up. And that gave me that little gift to be where, oh yeah, this is the something that came up. I can ask God for help, say, oh, can we do that later? And I can go have my lunch. So it's one day at a time that I work this program, one meal at a time sometimes, but I get to do the best that I can, ask God for help, and and try to trust my fellows and my sponsor that they are helping me and pass on to the best I can. So I practice that abstinence, the gratitude, and the service. And today, one day at a time, maybe I can trust that I am enough today, that I do enough today, that I have enough today. Thank you all for being here. All those who wish, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. 
Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.